Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, let's stay with the weather for the, for uh, just for a moment because we're told the temperatures are set for a significant drop over the coming uh, days. We're heading into a bit of a, a wintry snap uh, today. Very much wet and uh, windy. Number of wind warnings uh, in place uh, and particularly for Kerry and parts of West Cork until 6am tomorrow morning. I think that's a rain warning. There's a gale warning also has put, been put in place from Hookhead in Wexford to Mizzenhead in Cork and we're already hearing that uh, parts of West Cork are getting quite a bit of a bashing uh, this morning and uh, the that wind warning remains in place. They're talking about uh, gales occasionally reaching gale force 8 are strong gale force 9 and that means wind speeds of up to 88 kilometres per hour so please be careful particularly as I say if you're in West Cork and then temperatures are really set to plummet they're going to go close to zero actually uh, tonight at best <coughs> temperatures 1 to 5 degrees but it could hit zero in some uh, areas so a bit of a wintry snap uh, for us so stay warm. 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls this morning anything you want to share with us or you can text or WhatsApp to 86 103103. Your thoughts are welcomed on what are these on-the-spot fines for dog owners who fail to control their pets. They're going to be doubled. At the moment they're €150, Euros, so they're going to go up to €300 Euro from next year and this is after, of course, there's been a series of very worrying incidents of dogs attacking people and uh, animals. So the Minister for Rural and Community Development Heather Humphreys, she's announcing uh, the this move today. It's part of a package of measures which she's hoping will improve dog control. It'll cover dog offences that fall under the control of dog acts and it'll include uh, dog owners failing to keep their dog under control dogs not wearing a muzzle, the ones that are supposed to wear a muzzle when out in public. Uh, dog owners could also risk separate, several separate fines all at the one one time as the dog wardens from next year will be able to issue multiple fines all at once. So under the new measures, for example, a restricted dog without a muzzle, without a collar and maybe doesn't have a dog licence, they on the spot will get three separate fines each for €300 Euro, so they could end up with on-the-spot fines of €900. Euro. The Minister is also going to appoint a chairperson of a new high-level stakeholder group 
And that's going to examine some of the wider issues around dog ownership in this country. Now, we know in Ireland we already have what's called the restricted breeds list. I mean, they include things like the American Pitbull Terrier, the English Pitbull Terrier, the Staffordshire Terrier, and there's a number of others. It's now expected that the Heather Humphreys will ask this new stakeholder group to consider if we need to expand that restricted breed list and should there be other dogs also placed on it. And of course, when you're on, if you own a dog on one of these restricted breeds list, there is very clear guidelines. And when you bring that dog out in public, like you must always have it on a muzzle, you must always have it on a collar. And I think it needs to be on a short lead and it can't be brought out in public by anyone. I think it's under the age of 16. There's very strict rules and regulations uh, about it. But we know there has been a series of dog attacks, particularly in the last year, uh, including just last month, there was a woman in her 30s in Waterford who was attacked by one of these XL bullies. They're a type of uh, pit bull. And then, of course, last year we had that little nine-year-old boy in County Wexford, he was brutally attacked by a pit bull. Remember, he was the little boy. He was out playing in the green area with other children and this pit bull came out of a a house and ran over to the children and this little nine-year-old boy was the one he picked on and he suffered horrific uh, injuries to his leg and there was dreadful facial injuries. Remember the time his brother was talking about like his his lips had literally been ripped off and his face was absolutely in bits and his brother at the time was saying he's been completely destroyed destroyed by the incident and he just hasn't been the same since that uh, dog attack. And then it's also been reported with figures obtained from the HSE that there were almost 460 dog bite incidents that involved people going to an acute hospital setting. Now, you know, we would hear of people getting a nip from a dog, but to force you to go to an A&E department, they must have been pretty, pretty bad dog bites, 460 of them just last year. And of course, how often have we spoken about dog attacks not just being confined to uh, humans? Earlier this year, we'd one Kerry farmer who lost 70 yos and 20 lambs in one attack that involved two uncontrolled dogs. The Irish Farmers Association, a couple of years ago, they launched the No Dogs Allowed campaign and they've continued with that to this day, asking dog owners, please do not bring your dogs anywhere near farmland. And the Department of Rural and Community Development, they have reported a 24% increase of livestock worrying. And this is where they may not have been attacked, but there was, you know animals chased and particularly lambs are such nervous, nervous uh, creatures and if they're pregnant at the time it can cause them to abort uh, etc. And the UK, they've already announced uh, plans earlier this year that's going to lead to the, those XL bullies. They, were the, they That was the particular dog that attacked uh, the 30-year-old woman last month. They're actually going to be banned in the UK by the end of this year. Now I don't know, I have to look into how that ban is coming in. Is it that no more XL bullies will be allowed in or what will be happening to people who currently own XL bullies? Now we don't have any banned list uh, in this uh, country. 
Um, uh, and we don't have anything about XL bullies. They're not even on the restricted list at the moment. So I'm assuming that's one dog that uh, Minister Heather Humphreys will be saying needs to go on the uh, restricted uh, list. Now, there was funding in last month's budget. It was uh, it was also secured for a significant uh, communications campaign to try to promote the issue of responsible pet uh, ownership. That's set to be rolled out uh, next year. And then in a bid to try to help dog shelters. The Minister has also announced a €2 million fund. That's going to be used to upgrade dog shelters and vehicles. And that follows, of course, reports from dog shelter staff all over the country who were under significant pressure in terms of dealing with stray dogs. And only this week we spoke with Dogs Trust, probably one of the largest dog charities in this country. And they they are under huge pressure with the amount of people who are now trying to surrender their dogs for a whole host of uh, different reasons. And we were talking with Dogs Trust because they've just launched a campaign in the run up to Christmas looking for people to donate to them so they can continue their work because they don't receive any government uh, funding. So that two million, don't know how far two million is going to go between all of the dog shelters, but at least it's a step in the right direction. The Department of Rural and Community Development also released a statistics earlier this year that showed the number of stray dogs going into pounds has increased Listen to this from just over 4,000 in 2021. Last year, that went up to 7,352. And that's stray dogs because Dogs Trust, we're talking about the number of people who are trying to surrender their dogs. And obviously when Dogs Trust, when their kennels were full, they're asking the people to hold on to the dogs until they can find an available space. So I'm, I'm assuming that the numbers of surrendered dogs are not included. They share stray dogs that have been picked up around the uh, country. So will it be enough to double the fines from 150 to 300 euro uh, but because th- the problem there is enforcement you're going to need to have enough dog wardens going out and checking and making sure particularly those dogs that are on the restricted dogs list to make sure that anytime they're out in public that there is a dog warden around to check and see have they a muzzle on have they the correct lead is there an adult and is the dog under control some people have been on about phone issues but firstly a bit of good news on phone issues. Last week while I was off um, Breather contacted the programme and she was having an issue with her mobile phone and broadband uh, provider. Now uh, we advised her to contact Comreg and we gave her the details. She got onto Comreg but she got back onto us to say Comreg got involved and it all sorted out and her service is sorted so she comes in praise of uh, Comreg and of course Comreg they provide information to all consumers on any kind of communication issues you may have and like in the case of Breather they are able to escalate complaints to the service providers and they really, really are good at what they do and are always available uh, to people. If you go to Great Lens to try to sort out something with a mobile phone or a landline or your broadband and you, you feel you're getting nowhere, that's the time to get on to uh, Comreg. But then this morning, Heidi has been on to say, uh, Patricia, something I'd like to mention. We were without internet and mobile service. Um, this is, seems to be overnight in the West Cork area. We've no way of communicating with 
anyone. Technically, it was a good thing, time to sort of log out from all technology, but up the creek when you have nothing else. Now, the broadband is obviously back because Heidi is WhatsApping me this morning, but her Tesco mobile service is still down. Heidi says, so much for rolling out good service to rural areas. I know we have no way of controlling the weather, but technical people might be able to have an answer, says Heidi. And then Alan and Bantry was also on. He's having problems with his three mobile. So we've checked in and three mobile say they're having issues overnight and again this morning in some areas, some parts of the country, but they it is happening in West uh, Cork. They're, it's with their phone signal and their mobile data. And Tesco Mobile, which Heidi is talking about, having similar problems. But of course, Tesco Mobile run off the three networks. So if three networks are having a problem, the knock-on effect would be for Tesco Mobile um, customers. But they know about it. So we take it that they're doing their best to sort it out. And then Judy in Skull, amongst others, no electricity this morning. There are a number of electricity outages this morning in the West Cork uh, area, impacting part of Beira, Bantry and Skibbereen. And the ESB networks hoping to restore power by this, this afternoon. And it's... You know, Shocking, awful weather out there. And my thoughts are with those ESB crews who go out there in all kinds of weather to get electricity back. So they are working. And when it's safe, obviously, they will be working to sort out the electricity in those parts of West Cork. 0818 103 103. And just on uh, dog wardens, when I mentioned about the from next year, the fines, on-the-spot fines are going to be doubled to €300. Euro. But I was making the point, what about enforcement? Are we going to, is there any plans to introduce more dog wardens? Pat Infomoy says, make the Gardaí, the traffic and litter wardens, make them all dog wardens. At least people are aware of traffic wardens. They see them around the town. So instead of having just one or two dog owners, why not make all of the kind of the law enforcement, the Gardaí, the traffic wardens, the litter wardens, make them all that they're all capable of also being dog wardens at the same time. Don't know if that could work uh, or not, uh, Pat, but it's, it certainly is a suggestion. Thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, according to a survey of more than a thousand schools, an unprecedented shortfall of more than 800 vacant teaching posts exist across primary school classes in this country. To discuss the impact that this is having, I'm joined by Louise Tobin, and Louise is president of the Irish Primary Principals Network. Good morning to you, Louise. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. What do you believe are the main reasons for this shortage of primary teachers? Yeah, I suppose just to put it in context, Patricia, um, we've always had a subs crisis, you know, getting day-to-day casual subs for our schools. And then the next thing, what happened um, over the summer, we were noticing that the there was just a big challenge to actually employ fixed-term and permanent teachers, we'll say, in the hotspots of Dublin, Kildare, Mead, Loud and Wicklow. But um, I suppose as we progressed along then into autumn, what we're seeing now is that this problem has moved into the country areas, that now, um, you know, down south around the countryside, uh, school principals are finding it very hard to find people to fill permanent and fixed-term vacancies that have come up over the past few weeks. And then the impact everywhere is that school principals cannot get subs to cover vacancies in schools today, yesterday. Um, there's a, a big problem. 
That's a real uh, nightmare. So you're saying like schools will advertise a post and once upon a time they would have had a number of people applying for those jobs and they'd be calling in a number of candidates for interview. In some cases, they're not even getting anybody applying for the job. That's very true. Um, In the uh, urban areas, we've heard reports of no applicants and then in the rural areas, you know, the, the, the towns around here and, you know, North Cork, South Tip, uh, we're hearing of one or two applicants for a fixed-term position, which is an attractive position, which, uh, you know, you're on a fixed-term contract right through till next June. Uh, it's very worrying. And then how how does the problem, particularly when you mentioned about the, the, the substitute teachers, I'm thinking of principals this morning, obviously waking up in dread to a, a text or a phone call from a teacher saying, I feel unwell. How does that problem affect the everyday running of the school? Yeah, it has a huge impact. Um, you know, in all fairness, it's very challenging for for uh, school leaders, principals or deputies to get texts in the evening, uh, in the morning, early, and you're, you know, you're trying to get your breakfast and rush out the door and you're trying to then find subs. Uh, I suppose it has an impact on everybody because um, in, in many cases, Patricia, the principal will have no option uh, if they cannot get somebody uh, to stand into that class for the day, then they will just have to uh, redesignate one of the special ed teachers into the classroom. That's asking for flexibility on staff members. Um, also, then, I suppose, uh, when you take a special ed teacher out of their role, you are um, unfortunately affecting the most vulnerable children in our schools, those with additional needs. Uh, they will not have their opportunity to go to their special ed teacher that day or for the number of days uh, they won't have their time out. They won't have their one-to-one teaching. That impacts back on the class because now the class teacher has the full responsibility of all the needs in the room. Um, and I suppose overall the impact is is quite big because you're talking about schedules for supervision on um, the playground, the importance of health and safety, um, when, when, you know, the number of teachers attached to a school is reduced. And we, like I am aware, uh, certainly around the Tip North Cork area this morning, there are a lot of... Um, a lot of sub-teachers that we couldn't access this morning. So we have a number of schools with, with, without a number of teachers, Patricia. Yeah, and I know by the, the survey that I quoted in the introduction, I mean, it, it showed that two out of three schools had said they had used a special ed teacher to cover an absence. So, it, and as you say, it's, it's the most vulnerable children then that are losing out. The housing crisis, Louise, uh, I mean, particularly when you mentioned Dublin and Kildare, it's very expensive to live in Dublin. That's if you can even find a property to live in. I'm assuming that's having an effect. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Patricia, you did ask me at the outset what was the reason for the shortage. Yeah. And uh, just to come back to that, um, there has been an increase of over 12% in the number of teaching posts in our schools in the past five years. Now, that's a really good thing. You know, that's telling us that we're, we're you know, bringing down the pupil-teacher ratio in our classrooms. But, you know, that additional 4,500 teachers into the system in a permanent basis has to have a ripple effect on those available uh, for for any other casual work, substitute work or or long-term stints. Um, We've also had an increase in the number of schools in the DESH programme, even though I know that there are still uh, schools, even in your own area, who feel they should be um, part of the DESH programme. But that's brought additional teachers into the system. Um, And then, yes, you're so right. Uh, I believe that there are thousands of registered Irish primary teachers who are not working in Irish schools. Um, Why? They, they can't pay the high rents, the mortgages, the cost of living is so high and the packages to go abroad to work in Dubai and Australia are very, very attractive.
Yeah, and some of those countries are coming over to Ireland, aren't they? Because we, they, they know are. the reputation of Irish teachers. Yes, very true. And I was talking to uh, just a, a friend of mine there over the past, over the midterm break, and she's in Dubai. And I just said, how's it going? Loving it. Free flights, free accommodation, good pay, free ta- transport to and from school. Um, I know they all plan to come home, but for a couple of years, Patricia, it's They're a very gone. good package. And we won't even mention the weather, uh, Louise. <laughs> and, and, and I know the one thing, they, uh, particularly primary school, uh, primary schools and secondary schools, have absolutely played a blinder when it comes to the children who've arrived here from Ukraine and integrating them into the schools. So there's extra pupils as well, isn't there, in a lot of schools? Well, that's a very good point. I mean, you know, the numbers in primary schools are rising uh, due to the, you know, the additional pupils from the Ukraine, Syrians. I mean, in our own school in Tipperary Town, we have 24 nationalities, and I know that's replicated, indeed, in Mallow, in many other towns. So, you know, and that's additional needs then with additional teachers for language support. And um, so that has put pressure on the system as well, reducing the amount of teachers available for flexible flexible work. 24 nationalities. God, Louise, you're like the United Nations. Well, <laughs> I mean, I know people are astounded when we say that in Tipperary yeah. Town. I guarantee you, if you were to speak to, um, I'm thinking of one or two of my colleagues now down in, in the Mallow side, they would have similar stories. It's only when you stop and a- analyse it, Patricia, that you see the volume of diversity we have in our schools in Ireland at the moment. And indeed, you know, as you said, the schools, school leaders, teachers are doing an amazing job to integrate those children, to make them feel wanted, to make them feel part of the school culture, particularly when they've endured such traumatic circumstances in getting to Ireland. Isn't it brilliant for the children themselves, though, for that integration and they'll grow up with it? It's fantastic. I think think it's amazing. I mean, in, in, you know, in in Tip Town, and I'm I'm out of school now, Patricia, seconded with the Irish Primary Principals Network, but, you know, particularly the the Ukrainians and the Syrians developed little communities and they would say to me, Miss Tobin, I love Tipperary School. Ah, God, isn't that so sweet? And when you think about what some of those children had to do to, to, sure. to, uh, to, to get here. So, Louise, do you feel the Department of Education, are they doing enough? Could they be doing more? Well, I suppose initially, Patricia, the problem was that they were waiting for things to settle down in September and see how, you know, how bad was the situation, really, because they hadn't accurate data um, in late August to analyse this. But I think with the, the survey now that we have here from ourselves and IPPN, INTO and CPSMA, they now have the data. Um, but then what, what does one do? Because, you know, it's obvious that there just aren't enough qualified teachers out there and the, the, the student teachers are very engaged in their college work. Um, so, you know, what's the solution? It's, it's a tricky one. Mm. Someone is suggesting could primary schools use non-teaching graduates for sub work? Surely there are people available who could manage a class on a short-term basis. And or is that already happening? Well, I suppose, Tricia, our, our belief, and I'm sure it's the belief of every parent in the country, is to have a qualified teacher in front of a class every day. You know, qualified people. Um, I suppose our students are, you know, heading towards qualification. But, you know, as a school principal myself, I always felt if I had a qualified teacher in in our classrooms, in our special ed rooms, then I didn't have worries about health and safety over and above the normal ones. You know, if you have a second year student in a classroom, you know, you're supporting them, you're helping them because they're only halfway through their college. Um, You know, but I must say, Patricia, during COVID, we had we had a very successful, I suppose, scheme to manage when we couldn't get substitute teachers. And that was a system called the banked hours. 
So if you couldn't get a sub-teacher on a particular day, the department would give you five hours. Mm. And then that happens again and again. You build up your hours to 15, 20, 30 hours. And when we move towards the, you know, the times when the student teachers are available, preferably the fourth years who are just about qualified, we can engage those students to come into our schools for a number of weeks and top up the hours for classes that missed out and particularly for those vulnerable additional needs students who've missed out. They can have, you know, extra time out, extra support in the classroom. We've renamed that that um, banked hours as the budgeted hours because we must remember, you know, sub-cover in primary schools is in the, is in the budget. Mm. There's money put aside for that. So basically, there's actually money left over from every day that a sub isn't employed. So, yeah, so, so it know, isn't a financial issue. No, it's definitely not. Yeah, this, is, yeah. this is zero cost. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's it's not a great solution, but it is a solution that at least we can top up um, the hours that were missed out. And I think it would give a reassurance to principals, teachers and parents that there is a system in place and that could be in put in place buried. Like that could be put in place tomorrow. The money is there. It just takes a little bit of goodwill and consideration from um, the Department of Education, I suppose, to see this as a crisis now and it needs a solution. Yeah, it certainly is a crisis. OK, listen, Louise, good to talk to you. Just before you go on, on a different topic, how do you feel about Minister Foley's suggestion to get the parents and schools to sign up to not allowing primary school children to have smartphones? Yeah, to be honest, Patricia, it's not the biggest issue on our radar at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, you know, um, in my own experience and in my consultation with principals, you know, smartphones aren't an issue in our schools. Um, you know, most schools have a system where if a child has to bring their phone to school, they switch it off, they hand it over for safekeeping for the day and they return it. Now, I get the picture that maybe smartphones are not good for children at home in the evening, but I suppose that's not really an issue that schools, certainly we'd be promoting good practice, we'd be advising parents, but at the end of the day, I suppose it's a parental choice. And I'm happy Mr. Minister Foley has taken a stance on it, but in the big scheme of things now facing us in schools at the moment, Patricia, it's it's not an issue in schools, I believe. OK, all right, uh, fair point. Listen, Louise, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a good day and thanks for talking to us. Most welcome, Patricia. Good morning Thank to you. you. Bye-bye. Louise Tobin, who is President of the Irish Primary Principals Network. Bed bug infestations has reached six times the normal level in Ireland. That's according to a pest control expert to chat about the problem. I'm joined by Trevor Hayden and Trevor is Managing Director of Complete Pest Control. Good morning to you, Trevor. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Is it unusual for your company to get call-outs about bed bugs at this time of the year? No. So we get bed bug calls all year long. What's unusual this year is, is the amount of calls. Um, but it's, it's due to external factors. So we, we've all seen on the news that France is, is overrun. So we're getting a lot of visitors travelling to the World Cup and coming back and bringing them with them. But we're also getting a lot of people travelling from London, bringing them over as well. OK, talk to us about bed bugs. Um, and I'm already starting to scratch. I don't, I don't, I don't, what is it? As soon as you mention a bed bug, everyone is itchy. Anyway, talk to me about bed, bed bugs. Like, how would you know if you had bed bugs? Are, are they visible with the eye, for example? Yes. So for, first things first, their physical appearance. They, they look like, for all intents and purposes, like an apple pip. So they're kind of that size. Normally when people talk about bed bugs and stuff, or they think they think it's microscopic little things. It's not. You can very, very easily see these guys with, with, with the naked eye. So when when you when you have a bed bug infestation, it's not a, a situation where you're thinking, maybe I have a, a bed bug or something like that. You absolutely know it's because they bite you. <sighs> 
<laughs> and do they do they leave a mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do. So every, everybody's different. So you could get bitten, I could get bitten. We can react totally different. What 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 way you react to like a mosquito bite would be very very similar to a bed bug bite. Uh, some people swell up, other people barely barely leave a mark at all. And outside of beds, where else are you likely to find bed bugs, or are they just contained to beds? No, see, and this is the common misconception. Bed bugs like a stationary target, you being the target. So when you're stationary in your home, it's usually in your bed or on the sofa, you know, when you're sit, chilled out watching TV or, or asleep in your bed. So they live in and around these areas. So most people think it's the mattress. Very, very rarely we actually find them on the mattress because they're wrapped in a sheet. So it's generally on the, on the bed frame, the headboard, bedside lockers, places like this. And have you seen very bad infestations? Yeah. So not only is the frequency up, the numbers of when we go out to deal with an infestation, the numbers are up as well. So look, I'm doing this 20 odd years and it's the one thing that still makes me scratch. I'd rather a rat running around my house, to be (laughs) honest with you. (laughs) What they do, they're amazing. They are really, really adapted to what they do, but it's it's just horrible, you know, thinking that you're getting into bed with potentially something that can, you know, bite you. So, and it it sucks blood, isn't that? Isn't you won't actually feel it? No. So that old saying, you know, don't let the bed bugs bite, is not quite right. But basically, they have like two two needles. So they inject you with an anticoagulant and an anaesthetic, so you don't feel anything. Um, and then the other one is they so they inject you with that. Then what happens is they, they take that out and they put a straw essentially in and they suck suck your blood. God, they're clever, clever little creatures. And yeah, obviously the females then go on to lay eggs and that's how you get an infestation. Yeah, now the eggs are, are really are tiny little creamy white eggs, but they're so, so small. They're very, very difficult to see. Um, now treating these, like we, we give advice all the time. So for people ring us and they think they have mice or rats and we were quite happy to give advice on what they can do to deal with the issue Ed Bugs is one of those ones where you do need a professional to deal with it um, when we're dealing with them we use a heat tent so we would put the bed into a heat tent and we'd heat it up to a certain temperature and essentially killing any bed uh, bed bugs inside the bed base and uh, we'd use super, superheated steam which is steam at 180 degrees and then uh, we use a bit of chemical product then as well. How do we avoid bringing them back from other countries? Yeah, so it's, it's being vigilant when you go away. Um, certainly when I go away with my wife, the first thing she makes me do is check the beds and check for signs. <laughs> kind of takes the, the edge off the romantic weekend away. But <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, so yeah, so look, the telltale signs. So there's the bed bugs themselves. So these are apple tip size insects. They, they shed their skin like a snake would. So you see a, what's called a casing, which is like a yellowy gold version of that. Um, we're looking for droppings. So their droppings are like little black dots. And generally, they're around headboards, bed frames, th- things like that. And if you spotted them in a hotel, would you ask to be moved? Yeah. You would? Yeah, and oh, Hotels are, are, are very good. They, they're trained up. They, they're all the time looking out for, for, for the signs of these. Um, so, you know, they, they, they do react very well. And is it, another tip I heard when you go into a hotel room, and we, we're all guilty of it, you throw the suitcase up on the bed. Yeah. That's the wrong thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, don't. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't be putting it on the bed. Uh, and, you know, when you go to the likes of Spain and stuff, a lot of the beds are hollow underneath, so people would empty their clothes out and they put the bed or the suitcase under the actual bed. I wouldn't be doing that either. 
Okay, you've just creeped out somebody. Somebody <laughs> says, to hear that bed bugs like a target, you being the target, has made me feel totally creeped out today. Yuck, 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 everyone. We've got the whole of Cork City and County scratching uh, this morning. Listen, uh, we appreciate uh, you taking our call this morning, Trevor. Thank you for that. You're oh, sorry, just very quickly, one yeah. listener wants to know, could we end up with a situation as bad as a Paris where they were crawling on over the metro? No, I, I don't think so. The fact that it was highlighted over there first, people are much more vigilant over here. So uh, some of the cases that we're getting where people are calling us to go out, we're inspecting, and it's not an actual, it's just somebody's heard something and maybe they're a little bit paranoid about about it. So people are much more vigilant. I think it came out of the blue for the people in France. They, they weren't expecting it. Um, and that's the reason why it got as bad as it did, as quick as it did. OK. All right. Listen, Trevor, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. No problem. Yeah, good You're morning right. to you. That Bye. is Trevor Hayden and Trevor, Managing Director of Complete Pest Control. Now, this week on our Hours to Protect, which we broadcast tomorrow at about 11.45, we're going to be focusing on chewing gum litter and the task force called Binnet. Roadshows uh, which aims to drive behavioural change. We need to change everyone's attitude around chewing gum. We don't want people to stop chewing chewing gum but what we need to do is when you're finished with it you need to bin it and if you look around if you're out and about look around any footpaths uh, on any villages, towns, uh, streets the city there's just chewing gum everywhere and it is a nightmare to get rid of so please encourage people if you are a regular chewer of gum or somebody in the household is a regular chewer of gum, please put it in the bin. Now, we all know how busy our postmen and women are. And of course, over the next few weeks, they'll be coming into the busiest time of the year. So when I saw this piece, it was put up on the Mallow Act of Kindness page yesterday. It really shows how lucky we ha- are to have the dedicated staff who work with on post. Uh, somebody uh, put into the Act of Kindness page to say, we just got a knock on the door from the postman to let us know he's starting his route and he'll be back to us in about 30 minutes. But he's got packages to deliver from Smith's Toys and he was giving us the heads up in case that there were any small children in the house that mightn't like to be around when the packages arrive and when he would be knocking again. I can only imagine how busy the postmen are and postwomen are at this time of the year. So what a great act of kindness to go out of his way and do an extra call to make sure that Christmas isn't ruined, particularly for the smallies. Love the on-post service in Mallow. Isn't that incredible? And I'm sure there's lots of people listening who've got wonderful postmen and postwomen who just go above and beyond. So to any postmen and postwomen listening to us in Cork this morning, take a bow and please know that you really are truly, truly appreciated. 0818 103 103. Some of your calls and comments uh, coming in. Uh, somebody was on about the Corbett uh, family saying, I feel great empathy with the Corbett family who have been hammered with horrors by the cruel Martin family. What an unlucky day that the lovely Jason Corbett met the now confirmed felon, uh, Molly Martins and her twisted family. In the end, justice has prevailed to some extent, says this texter. And throughout the Corbett's nightmare, Ireland has stood supportively alongside Jason, his siblings, his children and indeed all of them, while America has once again thrown the Martins monsters back in jail. Let's hope that the prison authorities keep them there as long as they are allowed. What I've been reading, it looks like they will be out 
seven months, I think, is the maximum that they're going to. Uh, they reckon they'll serve because they'll get out in good behaviour, which means they'll be back out on the streets uh, next uh, June. And by the way, we are going to be talking about the case tomorrow on the programme with the wonderful Ralph Regal. Ralph, of course, who wrote the book, um, co-wrote the book with uh, Tracy Corbett, Jason's uh, sister. Uh, Ralph has been over in North Carolina covering the case and actually if you've been reading his pieces in the Irish Independent you almost felt you were in the courtroom he's he's incredible the way uh, he writes about cases like this so obviously it was, it's in the middle of the night for uh, Ralph because they're five hours behind but I was texting him this morning and he's going to join us tomorrow, about this time tomorrow on the programme just to go over the case and to go over uh, what has happened but I know the Corbett family uh, they are they're they're asking for uh, privacy uh, now, um, and they released a statement this morning, and they say, while this is not a moment for celebration for us, we can still find a path to move forward with our lives. Jack and Sarah have at least had the chance to communicate unencumbered and without hindrance. While we may not be satisfied with the sentencing, they went on to acknowledge the dedication and the hard work of the Davison County Sheriff and the District Attorney's Office. Um, and their statement ends with, we are deeply grateful for the support we received from the people of North Carolina and Ireland. And we kindly ask for privacy as our families move, as our family moves forward with the comforting knowledge that Jason will forever hold a place in our hearts and memories. And that's signed by Tracy, Dave, Dean, Adam, Jack and Sarah. And by all accounts, Jack and Sarah's victim impact statements yesterday were just incredible for two young Uh, people, what are they, 17 and 19, what they had to sit to and listen about their father's good name taken away and that that whole implication of making it look like their father had murdered their mother. It was just beyond belief what they've put up with over the last two weeks. And then to be so brave to stand up in court yesterday and read out their victim impact statements. Uh, They really are a credit uh, to the rest of the Corbett family, but to Jason and uh, to his late wife, Mags, as well. So we will be I'm not, we're not ignoring the story today. We will be talking about it in more detail uh, tomorrow. But thank you to that listener feeling empathy with the Corbett family. I think so many people have nothing uh, but empathy and, and sympathy and thinking of the Corbett family. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers because they still have a difficult, difficult journey uh, ahead of them. 0818 103 103. And then on other topics we were addressing today, we were talking about teachers and the lack of primary school teachers and 800 posts remain unfilled on top of what Louise Tobin then of the Irish Primary Principal Network outlining on substitute teachers there's not enough substitute teachers and then I asked because a listener had asked about using non-teaching graduates to put them into the classroom when schools are are stuck for a teacher. Patricia, using non-teaching graduates may not be as good as a qualified teacher, but surely it will be better than no teacher at all, especially using graduate parents who are well used to children. Louise Tobin, who you spoke with, may not want to consider this option as she prefers the ideal solution. However, we are where we are and principals should be permitted to engage with all possible options, at least until the ideal is a reality. And thank you for that. And you're right, because time and time again, remember we heard of, and I'm sure it's still happening, retired teachers being called in to work as substitute uh, teachers 
teachers as well and many retired teachers have helped out at local schools but it's, this situation is now getting to crisis point and something has to be done I and mean, we've got to encourage more of the young people who are training as teachers we have to make it attractive for them to stay in this country but you know as I mentioned to Louise the big problem is the cost of living here and the cost of accommodation and housing. 0818103103 and then a flurry of uh, texts and calls to do with these new uh, new proposals that the Minister for Rural and Community Development, Heather Humphreys, is to announce uh, today a new package of measures and it's designed to improve dog control and one is going to be the on-the-spot fines for dog owners who fail to control their pets while out in public will double from next year. It's 150 at the moment. It goes to 300. Some of your thoughts on that, Patricia. The fine should be at least €1,000. I've been chased and attacked by dogs on numerous occasions over the years and most owners will just say, ah, he or she has just been friendly. Yeah, right, says this texter. Recently, my child was bitten by a neighbour's dog who laughed with pride that her dog still had it, had it in him to go after anyone. Isn't that shocking? I know locals here who avoid walking along certain roads because of uncontrolled dogs. For sure, a significant find might help. €300 Euro to me is a derisory uh, sum in light of the distress that it can cause you. And if you have people who are afraid of dogs and if you have children who are afraid of dogs, there is nothing worse than even just a, boist- a boisterous dog charging at you. They may be friendly, but if you've got a fear of dogs, it, it can be really, really frightening. And then someone else is against this notion of increasing the fines, saying, oh my God, this country is a joke. It's all money, money, money. The people who make these laws are stupid. If the dog is dangerous, put it down. But I suppose what the minister is trying to do is to get away from the situation where a dog has to be put down because it's attacked uh, somebody. And remember, in other countries, people have been killed from uh, dog attacks. So they're trying to do something to get proper responsible own pet ownership. I think that is the answer. Uh, I'm listening to you talk about dogs while at home are recovering, says Mags. So sad to hear about the statistics of dogs not being looked after and the number of dogs that are picked up as strays and the number of dogs that are surrendered. We sadly said goodbye to our darling Collie Cross, Freddie, on Sunday morning after almost 15 and a half years of joy and fun from him. And Mags has sent on a gorgeous picture. What a beautiful dog uh, Freddie was. Here's a picture of him sleeping in the sun in late September. Just being a little bit, I'm just a heartbroken dog lover at the moment. Oh, my sympathies go out to you. And I think any other dog lover listening who's lost a much loved pet, Mags will know what you're going through. Look after yourself and be kind to yourself. And Frick says uh, there's no point bringing in these new laws and new fines. We haven't enough dog wardens to implement them. Dog fouling is the same thing. We have two dog wardens for the entire county of uh, Cork. Um, Frick says, I see dogs off leads and no muzzles every single day. We see that, well, the muzzles is only the dogs on the restricted breed list. Other dogs don't have to have a muzzle, but if they're on the restricted breed list, so I don't know if they're the dogs you're talking about or not. And then Heidi says, oh, Patricia, it's such a pity that we can't do something more about cruelty to poor animals. I lost my dear sweet cat, a much loved pampered cat. And then you see things like this outrageous behaviour. It is sheer cruelty. And Heidi sends me on a piece from Cork Pio earlier this week. And it's the story of a puppy that was abandoned in uh, the city 
city and it was it's, 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 it, there's a good news story at the end of it in that it was brought back from death's door after communities across Cork City and County do, donated to save her life. It was the CSPC team in Maham. They got an urgent call at the end of last month to rescue. It's a lurcher puppy who had collapsed in the city centre. The poor thing was found starving, covered in mange and they reckoned it had likely been wandering the streets for days simply looking for something to eat. Now the charity rushed to collect this young dog, brought it to their facility in Mahan for treatment. She was given food, medicine and a bed of her own and obviously some much needed uh, rest. They've named her Bones and if you saw the dog she literally is a bag of bones. But the community here in Cork rallied to support the charity because they put out an urgent appeal last month for puppy food because they were running dangerously low on supplies for starving starving dogs and seemingly they got many, many generous uh, donations and this young lurcher Bones uh, was one of those who managed to get the food that was donated and has made an amazing recovery. Bones was even sent an aloe vera plant uh, which is used to treat the mange all over her body. So well done to whoever sent that in and the CSPCA went on to thank the public for their support and they actually recently released a video uh, showing that this little puppy running around with another dog in the shelter's ground. So it's making a, a fine recovery and hopefully Bones will find his forever home soon. 0818 103 103 Lines are open. C103 Jobs. A full R part-time HGV driver is wanted for Kelco Transport. Now full licence and up-to-date CPCs are necessary. You can call Kelco on 029 70296. Full or part-time cattle truck driver wanted, preferably over 25. And if you have some livestock experience, please email to me livestock at gmail.com. Donkey Sanctuary in Niscarra, they've got a vacancy for a veterinary nurse. CVs, please, to joanne.nevin at thedonkeysanctuary.ie. And an early years practitioner with VTEC Level 5, in early years education is wanted for Kahula in Bantry. CVs to Doreen Brady and Doreen Brady's um, email address is maz underscore dbrady at yahoo.com. You'll find all of the details that I've just mentioned and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has announced that from the 1st of March next year, the role of pharmacists will be expanded and your local pharmacist will have the power to extend certain prescriptions up to a maximum of 12 months. To discuss the new measures, I'm joined by Tom Murray of the Irish Pharmacy Union. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Am I right in saying that this, this is something that the IPU has been calling for for quite some time? Um, this is one of a range of measures that has and will continue to come out of the task force that the Minister of Health set up in July. Certainly the IPU, we have been calling for an extension of pharmacy services and for extending the role that pharmacists play in uh, Irish health and for investment in pharmacy services uh, to help resource that. So this is the first recommendation to come out of the task force. We didn't maybe specifically call for this one in particular, but we have called for an extended 
range of services from pharmacies. So this is the first the task force has recommended. And you did, you were allowed to extend some prescriptions during the pandemic. We were um, under the COVID legislation, which is due to be rescinded at some stage. Prescriptions naturally extended from six months to nine months, where um, that was to reduce the frequency at which people came into uh, healthcare environments like pharmacies or GP practices. And that was to reduce contact between people and hopefully, hopefully to reduce some of the spread of, of COVID-19. But I suppose, thankfully, most of the pandemic is over now. We obviously still are very busy with COVID vaccines, but COVID as a pandemic seems to be, be over. So those, those legislations will be rescinded. And this is a, an entirely different thing whereby a pharmacist, after consultation with the patient, it will be able to extend certain prescriptions where the pharmacist believes them to be appropriate and safe from six months to 12 months. Do you know at this stage what type of medication will be eligible for this prescription extension? We don't. There's no specific list of of either patient types or prescription types or medication types. What we assume, uh, and while we wait for further detail, is that it will be people who are stabilised on long-term chronic medication where there isn't an awful lot of fluctuation in their health state so maybe patients, I would imagine myself, patients, maybe some diabetic patients, some blood pressure patients, maybe patients with asthma or COPD where they've been stabilized on a certain inhaler for so long and it hasn't really changed that the pharmacist could sit down with them and review the medication. And we already review patients' medication on a continuous basis anyway, but this now recognizes pharmacists' role as experts in medicines and that we could then extend the prescription to reduce the frequency with which patients have to go to GPs in the hope that this is this is really aimed at empowering pharmacists, uh, but also reducing some of the pressure on GP services. Yeah, that's the, the obvious one is it will take some of the workload away from uh, GPs. And we're constantly, uh, Tom, hearing from some of our listeners who are finding it difficult to even get an appointment uh, with their GP. Yeah. They're, 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 they're so busy. So while it will reduce the work at, you know, some of the GP surgeries, it's going to increase your workload. I mean, has the minister told you about possible supports that they'll put in place? Um, he, there is There hasn't been a discussion about the supports yet, but the minister was at our conference which we held just a fortnight ago in which state he did acknowledge that pharmacists and investment in pharmacy services was reduced in 2009 um, during the financial crisis and has never been reinstated in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity use rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands including louis vuitton chanel and cartier head to rebag.com and get up to 15 percent off your first purchase as a member with code rebag new shop today at rebag.com that's r-e-b-a-g.com and use promo code rebag new for up to 15 percent off your first purchase as a member if you thought the only way to get a more defined job Line with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Or revisited. Uh, the task force hopefully will bring up a number of new roles for pharmacists, including a minor ailment scheme, um, including a serious shortage protocol where we would be able to advise alternative medicines where medicines are in shortage like they are in the country at the minute. And all of that will be discussed in the round within a view to resourcing pharmacy services properly um, and in looking at investment into pharmacy services. I myself on behalf of the IPU are, are part of the working group that works with the Department of Health. We've been involved in a process for a number of months and we're continuing that process. So whilst this is a very, very welcome statement from the Minister in the recognition of pharmacist's role, it's the first step in other roles being developed, all of which will need to be resourced and that discussion is ongoing. Yeah, and are you confident it will be in place by the 1st of March? The Minister has said that the legal, that the this law will be changed and the thing will be in place for the 1st of March for this change. I'm hoping that there may be other things will come in at, in, a, in a similar vein in the similar time frame as well. OK, and just what I have you on the line thing is you mentioned uh, medication uh, shortages. Again, it's a topic we have discussed before on, on the programme. Are there still a lot of medicines in short supply? And if so, how are pharmacies coping? There is quite a few. Uh, the last count that I saw myself personally was 350 wow. commonly used medicines. Um, it's How are pharmacists coping? It's, it's putting huge demand on pharmacy services. It's putting huge demand on GPs. At the minute, the current practice is that if you came into me with a medicine that's in short supply, even though I know I have an alternative that may be able to uh, to fulfil your, your clinical needs. I have to refer you back to the GP or ring the GP. All of that puts pressure on the GP, puts pressure on the services. It also delays care for the patient when the pharmacist could be standing there saying, this particularly happens with antibiotics, where a pharmacist could be standing there saying, well, okay, one penicillin is out of stock, but I have an alternative penicillin that does a similar role. And what we're looking for is the empowerment from the minister to allow us to do that exchange in, in, in a serious shortage protocol, as we call it, as we head into the winter months, that's only going to get worse because the shortages are not reducing. The demands on medicines are increasing. Um, pharmacists spend uh, 10 to 15 hours a week at the minute chasing uh, unavailable medicines, trying to source them from alternative suppliers, maybe trying to import them or maybe trying to get alternatives from the GP to be prescribed that the patients aren't delayed in their care. It's a huge pressure on the services that pharmacists provide and indeed adds the pressure on GP services as well. And it's a crazy waste of time. It really is just a crazy uh, waste of time. It's an incredible waste of time. Yeah. So good to, really good to see that they are looking at extending the range of uh, services because, of course, pharmacies are playing such a role already. You mentioned the, the, the COVID vaccines and, and the, the flu vaccines. You're administering them and that's taking pressure away from uh, GP practices. Are you 
you happy with the, the uptake of the flu and, and COVID vaccines? Uh, hugely happy. And there was some residents when pharmacists started doing this as to whether we, it was the appropriate place. Pharmacists were always adamant that not only were we clinically skilled to do it, but because we are the most accessible point of healthcare, 95% of the country live within five kilometres of a pharmacy. You don't need appointments, et cetera, et cetera. We're open longer hours. We knew we could provide the service and the uptake from patients has been absolutely huge. Um, I Today I'm doing a flu vaccine clinic in my pharmacy and we are flat out all day. We have a full agenda for Saturday for the COVID up, vaccine uptake. The demand from patients and the acceptance of patients and actually how happy patients are with the service is reflected on the increased demand every year. We're delighted to be doing more and the patients are delighted to be getting more from their pharmacists. Well done, well done. Listen, uh, Tom, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. No problem. Good morning to you. Okay. That is, uh, bye-bye. Uh, uh, sorry, Tom uh, Murray, who is with the Irish Pharmacy uh, Union, because I know when we mentioned this earlier in the week, that pharmacists would be allowed to extend some prescriptions, the amount of calls we hit in, asking uh, what exactly, what medications will it be that list has yet to be drawn uh, to be drawn up but it is uh, looking like it's wor- still a work in progress but it is looking like it will be in place by the 1st of March and also if you are a private patient they, it will save money because obviously if you've got to go back to your GP to get a repeat prescription after six months it will take the cost of that out of the equation as well Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie Today on C103. Um, we're heading to Bandon Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda Fire, where I'm joined by uh, Garda James Masters. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, and you're welcome uh, to the programme now. You're looking Thank for you. advice and you want to give some general advice, but you're also looking for uh, w- any witnesses who might have seen anything. Starting with the theft from vehicles, this is in the McCroom area. Yes, that's correct. Um, Patricia, I know, uh, although it was mentioned uh, two weeks ago, Unfortunately, the theft of vehicles are um, on the rise. Um, there's been over 25 theft from um, vehicles in the Cork area in the past two weeks. Um, the, the un- I suppose the trend of unlocked cars and houses are continuing, unfortunately. Um, in this case, we're, we're appealing for witnesses. Um, there was three um, cars broken into in the Dunamore area between the 1st of November and the 2nd of November during the night, Patricia. Um, the entry was gained and there was items actually taken. In this case, uh, I suppose what we're looking for is appeals for any suspicious vehicles or persons in around that time, although I know there was a duration of a night there to contact McCroom Garda Station. Um, I suppose in this case, Patricia, as I said, it's, it's on the rise. Um, we have advice um, through uh, Garda.e in relation to um, Park Smart, but just to read over a small bit of advice again is to make sure when you park your vehicle that you take your property with you, um, you ensure that the car is locked, alarmed and parked in a safe location. Um, and also a big one, Patricia, is your keys uh, stored safely away away from windows, letterboxes, and also away from matching the front door and making sure that the front door is also locked as well, you know. Yeah, because countless numbers of people walk in the front door and there'll be a hall table there and you just throw your keys on the hall table and it's the worst thing you can do. That's exactly it. Um, there's opportunities out there. They're looking through windows. They're looking through letterboxes. If they do see it, they might be able to take a chance. But again, it's just extremely important. Um, and as we said, the, the, the number of vehicles that have been left open 
is on a rise. So, so I suppose that that's a very important one there as well. Always lock. Even exactly. even if you're just popping into the shop for a few minutes, or you're running back into the house to get something, because a lot of these are opportunistic. It's just somebody passing, seeing the car is open, and if you've left anything of value, it'll be gone. Yeah, that's exactly it. And actually, um, most of the 25 vehicles that have been taken, or, or there's been more, um, it's been through the night, Patricia. So making sure before bed, um, making sure that your your car is locked. And it's happened to all of us just to make sure before bed, clicking that button, you know, seeing the lights flash, um, because a, a lot of these are happening during the night, unfortunately, where people are asleep at night time. Yeah, and it's, it's probably easier than ever to lock a car now because we all have the fobs that you just press, but it's just getting into the habit of making sure you always do it. Okay, there was a burglary in Bally de Hob area and you're looking for any witnesses. Yeah, um, Cardi in the ba- uh, Bantry district are investigating a burglary which happened in the Bally de Hob area. Um, in this case, Patricia, it was roughly um, at uh, 1.50am on the 4th of November. There was a suspect, he was actually disturbed by the owner of the property at the time. Uh, the sus- suspect um, left the scene but I suppose we're, we're looking for witnesses um, to see if there was any suspicious vehicles or persons in around that time. I suppose it's a very specific time, uh, you know, at 1.50 a.m. on the 4th of November. And if there has anyone that's seen anyone to contract Bantry Garda Station, um, you know, we'd be delighted, Patricia, there. Yeah, or anyone who was out driving, they might have dash cam footage. Yeah. Okay, online scams uh, coming up to Christmas, James, uh, you want to talk ab- about an, uh, and also uh, deliveries. I don't know if it's just me or not, but I am getting flooded with scam uh, texts and uh, emails. And, and I know we've been discussing it here at the radio station and everybody seems to be getting a lot more of them. I was out of the country last week and I don't know if that's the reason that I'm getting so many of them or, or not, but they're actually getting annoying now. I'm, yeah. getting, I'm getting so many of them. But of course, these scam artists know they just need a tiny proportion of people to engage with them and they've made their money. That's exactly it, Patricia. Um, uh, as we know, coming up to Christmas, online shopping is, begun, is, is going to be on the rise. Um, these, uh, I suppose, fraudsters will be looking for opportunities. Um, it might be a case that you might buy something off Amazon and a couple of days later you might actually receive uh, a text message or an email and it might, you know, look, appear to be legit. I would always trust it out. We, we have, um, I suppose there's a number of things we'd like to say to the, the, the general public in relation to it. And in doubt, you know, we've had a number of people call into the garage station here and ask us, you know, or show us text messages or show us stuff. Um, we'd be more than likely to help. That, that's our job. We'd be more than likely I suppose just a small bit of advice um, in relation to that, Patricia. Uh, always buy from trusted sources. Make sure that the website you are on is real and not fake. Um, know the website's policy and refunds um, and know your consumer rights. Um, don't enter into off-site communication for a lower cash price. Um, never purchase through social media or where their offers come up in social media like pop-ups, Patricia. Um, and independently visit the website um, for online sales companies as opposed to clicking on social media pop-up events. And, and just the last one as well, uh, a very important one as well, is do not under any circumstances use public Wi-Fi when making payments. You know, switch your 3G, 4G on your phone um, if you have to there. So, you know, it, it's, I suppose this is a very big one coming up to Christmas. Uh, also with deliveries, you know, we'd be... Uh, I suppose, pleading to the public when you 
you are getting deliveries, maybe have a na- if you're out, have a neighbour collect the deliveries for you rather than, than throwing them at the front door and drive you away and then them being taken. Or, you know, as I said, there is opportunists out there, unfortunately. And you do, you, do, you do see that? You do see packages left on people's doorsteps? You do, you do. And, you know, you'd see it online an awful lot in relation to, um, you know, ring doorbells and stuff like capturing people do it. So, as we said, in relation to the cars and, unfortunately, delivery, there is opportunities out there. They might be driving by, they'll see a package outside the door, they grab and they're it's gone. gone. Um, yeah. So it's just very important if you have a neighbour that can take the package for you, you know, if you're in a housing state or out in the countryside, have a contact number for that person, you know. Okay. Um, and then visibility on our roads. I mean, we've got a really dreary day yeah. uh, here today. Uh, you really need to be lighting up, don't you, and, and making sure that you're visible and if you're out walking, you're visible. That's correct. Uh, I suppose nationally, Patricia, unfortunately, road deaths have, um, are up compared to this time last year. Uh, I think since uh, Garda Murphy, Francis Murphy, was on the radio last week, we unfortunately had a fatal in the McCroom area, uh, which is extremely sad. Um, with the evenings getting darker, uh, it's important uh, and an appeal for, I suppose, the drivers of any vehicles to make sure you have your lights on. You know, we're still seeing vehicles coming up at a half, four or five p.m. and their lights are turned off. Um, people walk in the country roads having a light with them and having a high visibility jacket and actually even in towns, Patricia, and cyclists as well, making sure you have your helmets and lights on that are actually working and making sure that we actually have lights in both behind and in front. You know, you see some cyclists and they have the light in front, but unfortunately they don't have a light in back. And it's um, it's these days uh, with the, you know, the, the poor visibility that, you know, unfortunately accidents can happen and we're just trying to... Um, make an appeal to people to, to make sure and light up, you know. Yeah, because we have the dark evenings and the, and the darker mornings, but it's when the weather then kicks in that can make the visibility even lower than what it yes. is. Yeah, as you know, you're driving home from work and the visibility is poor. Uh, um, you know, you want to be able to see a person that maybe might take a step away from the the um, um, the, the, the footpath or whatever it may be. Um, and then again, you know, there's plenty of people walking the country roads um, and absolutely brilliant to see. But again, having high visibility or a torch in your phone just to see, because unfortunately we just don't know, you know, uh, we just want to be able to see people on the roads, you know, and and, um, and just to take the chances out of it. Yeah, and actually one that came up on, on the programme a couple of weeks ago was uh, a listener who was driving, he was in a rural area and it spotted that there was somebody walking. But it was only when they got up on top of them, they realised that the person was also walking a very large black dog. Uh, yes. But they said they were literally on top of the person when they realised there was also a dog uh, on the lead. So you need to make sure if you are bringing out an animal that there's some kind of luminous collar or lead or a jacket yeah. or something. Yeah, and they're, they're becoming more and more popular and actually an awful lot cheaper. You you can get them in an awful lot of places. Now, Patricia, like you said, you might see the person, the lady or a man walking down the country lane with the dog. You might see the person with the high-vis, but unfortunately uh, the dog might be on the lead and you mightn't see the dog. So so I suppose both parties to have a high-vis or, you know, as you said, a flashing collar or something that just gives the public. Because you, as you know, when the rain is there and it's a dreary evening, it can be 
very hard to see. Yeah, absolutely. And just so. back when we when you were giving the advice on theft from uh, vehicles, a listener has made a really good point saying that for many car robbers, they don't even need to check to see if the car is unlocked because nowadays in a lot of modern cars, the wing mirrors will close in when the car is locked so the robber can easily identify if the cars with the open wing mirrors, they'll know straight away that they'll have easy access and be able to carry out their crimes. So, so yeah, exactly. I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Thanks, Listen, great advice as always. Thank you for that, James. Lovely, Look no after yourself. You. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. That Thanks. is uh, Garda James Masters, who is uh, based out of Bandon at uh, Garda Station. And this is a follow-up to a piece we did a couple of weeks ago to do with Domanway Swimming Pool and families trying to book swimming lessons. And we had a number of parents who were really, really annoyed and frustrated because they have to ring a landline and there's only one landline to get through and people were getting through and all the lessons were uh, booked out. And uh, people were saying there's got to be a better system in place. So we got on to Cork County Council, who have finally come back with us with the statement. And they say West Cork Leisure Centre in Domanway provides a wide range of swimming activities, including four four different levels of swimming classes. The duration of each swimming course is five weeks and the fee per course is €50. We know all of that and membership is not required. As a result though, they say demand for places is high. Now they do say that Cork County Council is currently examining options of introducing an online booking system in an effort to streamline the booking process. And I think, and I, and I do know some of the parents when they contacted us, particularly the ones that were very frustrated that they, they had started their children, they had done the first course wanted to continue with the swim lessons and then couldn't get through on the phone and then when they did manage to get through on the landline all the slots uh, were gone and people were saying surely there's got to be a simpler system like an online booking system so just to let you know Cork County Council are looking into an online booking system and if we get anything further on that we will bring it to you 0818 103 103 Yesterday we had some people who were seeing what's going on in uh, Gaza and seeing it from the Israeli side and there was a couple of people who were pointing the finger of blame at Hamas and blaming Hamas for what is going on and for the death and destruction of the Palestinians um, at the moment. And I'm always so, as I said yesterday, there are absolutely two sides to this story of what's going on. And it's just heartbreaking every night on the news uh, to witness the death and destruction, particularly of children and women and innocent people who have nothing whatever to do with the row that is going on between Israel and uh, Hamas. It's just, it's shocking. It really is shocking. But John in Castletown Roach contacted us at the end of the programme yesterday. My apologies, John, that I didn't get around uh, to your comment. And John says, John writes, I was out in the West Bank for 16 days before lockdown and I saw the reality for the Palestinian people. In Jerusalem, I saw the way Israeli security forces treated young people, goading them with insults and with their weapons and trying to get a reaction. Why? So that they could shoot them. I visited a UN compound and I spoke to the Palestinian group that were running it. And we mentioned the likes of the Oslo Accord, but all they said was that they had given the Israelis everything they wanted. I don't for a second support or condone what Hamas has done last month. I think it's awful, but a better understanding of history is needed. If you get a wise people and treat them like dogs for decades, is there any wonder that there's a reaction from them? The root cause is the way the Israelis have treated the Palestinians for years. And the sooner there's an understanding of that, the sooner there'll be a solution because innocent people are dying on both sides. Yeah, and that's
that is the key. Uh, they are dying on both sides, but uh, you know we need uh, it's the two state is the solution, but it's trying to get to that uh, two state uh, solution. We seem to be so far away from it. Thank you, Joe, uh, to John in Castletown Roach, somebody who's been over there and has witnessed it at first hand. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and then John in the city was on to us to say, does anybody know why TCP has gone off the market? And I wasn't aware that TCP was gone off the market, even though I absolutely detest the smell of TCB. TCP, I think it's the most horrible smell. So I did a quick Google search and I can't find, John, any reason why you're not able to get uh, TCP. There was a case back in the noughties where it was removed from the shelves, but then it came back. There was a new company took it over. And it came back. And when I did a quick Google search, it appears certainly to be available online. Uh, And I'm checking to see, are these Irish chemists? They are, I think. Uh, Anyway, we'll do a shout out to see, has anybody, uh, is anybody else noticing? John said he's been to a number of chemists. I'm assuming because John is contacting us from the city, he's in the city area and he can't get his hands on a bottle of TCP. Has anybody else having problems getting TCP or have you spotted it in any uh, chemist shops? Let us know, please. 0818 103 103. And Jack was on about an issue that I had hoped to get to yesterday, but I didn't get a chance. And Jack is hoping that this gets introduced. And this is to do with free legal aid. And free legal aid could be reclaimed from repeat offenders. And it's proposals seemingly that are now being examined by the Attorney General at the behest of the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. Now, it was the independent TD for Galway West, Noel Grealish. He has called for changes to the law to make repeat offenders think twice and he feels you need to hit them where it hurts. He told the doll during leaders questions this week that the state should be able to get back some of the costs which is paid in legal aid for people who have multiple convictions. He said that 76 million euro was spent in free legal aid in criminal cases last year. 76 million euro. And he said in the past, when he raised this issue of withholding free legal aid to persistent offenders who have broken the law countless times and they keep coming back time and time again. And when he brought up why do we continue to give these people free legal aid, he was told that it would be constitutionally impossible to take free legal aid away. So he's saying that if that is the case, why can't we change the law and why can't we change the law so that repeat offenders over a period of time well, you won't take free legal aid away from them, but they must at least repay the cost of the free legal aid. You know, and he suggests things like deducting the pay uh, if they're workers, taking it directly from their wage packet, um, take it from their social welfare until the debt is uh, repaid. And uh, Noel Grealish said there's already a me- mechanism in place if somebody gets overpaid, for example, on the welfare system. So he said there's a system there where you can, you know, payments will come back at a little bit every week, but it comes back until all the money is paid back. Now, the Taoiseach responded to um, Noel Greedish and said it's a matter of, he admits, it's a matter of enormous annoyance to people when they see those with multiple convictions who have a history of re-offending and every single time they go back 
back to court, they are given free legal aid. Now, he said he knows a lot of people who he regularly meets who raises this issue with him. He said the frustration in seeing people commit crimes while out on bail, the frustration in people who have a long criminal record, having their solicitor and their barrister all paid for by the by the taxman. So he says he absolutely understands where Deputy Noel Grealish is coming from. Now, Leo Varadkar said there that free legal aid is a constitutional requirement. And just because somebody is found guilty twice or three times, that doesn't mean that they're going to be guilty the next time. So he's not saying take free legal aid away from them. But he says he is now going to ask the Attorney General and the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, if changes could be made to the Criminal Justice Legal Aid Bill, and that's currently being prepared, and to reform, it's going to reform the legal aid system. And he thinks it's definitely an idea worth exploring. And, and I, Jack was on saying that he thinks it's a great idea and that it should happen. And Jack says that he always feels very frustrated, particularly if he's reading a newspaper report about somebody who has been, you know, it's when they've been sentenced, it's been countless times they've been before the court and they may even be getting bail again and they apply for free legal aid and they get free legal aid. Now some people um, some views from other parties including the Sinn Féin Justice Spokesperson Pa uh, Daly. He says while the proposal might, might sound good as a populist measure in reality he says it's totally impractical to seek payment back from people with addictions who may or may not be in jail. He says legal aid isn't a favour. It's a constitutional right if you're at risk of jail and have insufficient funds. The Irish Penal Reform Trust, they said the focus should be on reducing reoffending in the first place. They say statistics indicate that people in prison for short sentences have the highest rate of reoffending following their release. They say it's well documented that short sentences offer limited scope to engage in any kind of positive rehabilitative services available while in uh, prison. And the Irish Penal Reforced Trust say that community sentences should be deployed to help reduce the burden on the prison service and they feel it would also help to reduce the rate of reoffending. They say community sanctions, you know, like community service um, offers a, a lower reoffending rate. They're less damaging than sending somebody to prison. They're less costly and they also provide benefits to the community. So there's a lot that could be uh, looked at. But, you know, I, I think... Uh, Sinn Féin's Pa Daly saying it is a populist uh, opinion to say you're going to make people pay back free legal aid. Yeah, I, I do think it's a, it is it is a popular measure because I think a lot of people like Jack who contacted us just get totally frustrated when they see people constantly reoffending and they'll go back to court knowing that their solicitor and their barrister will be paid for and people do get annoyed uh, by it. So should there be a limit placed on free legal aid or would you be with Noel Grealish that in not stopping free legal aid because we'd have to change the constitution if we wanted to do that but at the very least when somebody I don't know what number of re, uh, re-offending a person would have to do or how many crimes a person would have to commit but when you get to a certain level and you've had free legal aid so many times that after that they won't stop you getting free legal aid, but they will mean you will have to pay it back at some point. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The weekly lottery draw for Kildallery Community Development will be held this afternoon at four in the community office. 
They have a jackpot this week of €11,100. McCroom Flower and Garden Club, they've got a gala charity floral de- demonstration. It's called A Winter Wonderland and it is by Janet Maddock of IFA. It's on tonight at 8 in Coolcar House in McCroom, supporting McCroom Community Hospital. Paddy Ryan of the Mitchellstown Branch of Concern is hosting a fundraising coffee morning tomorrow morning. It's an aid of concern. It's from half nine to half twelve. Hunter's Rest in Mitchellstown and your support would be gratefully uh, appreciated. The Barry Moore Players Drama Group are presenting Stop It Nurse by Sam Cree tomorrow night, Friday and again on Sunday in Castle Lines Community Centre. They'll start at eight o'clock each night and tickets will be available at the door. Strand United AFC are holding a reunion of past and present players. It's to celebrate their 40th anniversary. It's tomorrow night in the Strand Bar in uh, Vickerstown and all are welcome. And you're please asked to support a fundraising table quiz in aid of Drumahan Road Runners who are taking part in the 2024 London City Marathon in aid of CUH. The table quiz will be held tomorrow night, half past eight, Hickey's Bar in Drumahan. They're looking for tables of four please. It'll be €40 Euro to enter and they're promising raffle and spot prizes tomorrow night. If you have an event that you would like to include in our Cork Diary, please email diary at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. When you talk to me. Cork today on C103. And just a, a, a text in when we were talking um, with James Masters, uh, the guy they abandoned, about just being careful if you're ordering items online. Uh, you know, we're coming into the busiest time of the year to make sure that you're at home or that you're going to have items dropped to a neighbour's house and not be leaving them on the doorstep. Somebody has sent in a text and I don't know if this is a postman or postwoman or somebody who is a delivery driver. But this person says the amount of people that regularly purchase stuff online yet then are not at home when they're delivered and don't even have the cop on to think about organising a safe place for the postman the po- or the postwoman to place the package is astounding. Often electric gates are closed with no access to the house. They then give out about having to come back to the depot to collect the items so people need to stop and think when they're getting items delivered by post are you going to be available or not. Thank you for that. Texting 0862 103 103. Now I want to go to the phone lines because Owen has contacted us uh, by email and wants to discuss a theft that happened while coming back from a holiday in Portugal uh, with his wife a couple of weeks ago. Good afternoon to you, Owen. How are you, Patricia? Now, this isn't a large monetary item we're talking about. It's a very small sum of money that's gone missing. But I suppose it's it's a collection of coins. But I suppose you need to share the backstory as to why you were bringing back uh, euros that was specifically minted in Portugal. Okay, so in um, 2000, early 2000s, I think it was 2002, we joined the Euro. Yeah. And I think it was for Christmas 2001, my wife and I gave uh, her brother, um, John, um, a, a chart that he had to collect a penny, a two pence, a five pence, a ten pence, twenty, fifty, one, and two euro coins from each of the Euro countries. So... John, being John, when he completed the task, decided that, well, 
they mint coins every now and again from the different countries. So he has taken it to the next level. So he has a one euro coin, I'm sure, from Ireland for every year that we mint his coins. We may not mint coins every year, but he has them from... And he's missing, you know, a good few from um, various countries. So anytime any of the family go away, we all um, bring him back some coins from that country and he'll sift through them. And if he finds a 50 cent, well, he'll give you a 50 cent, you know. Yeah. but he um, he 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 keeps he keeps gathering them and he keeps bringing them back. Now we don't bring back an awful lot, which is what you said at the beginning. There wasn't an awful lot of money in this purse that we were bringing back because I'm a tap man. I I don't pay cash too much anymore. I I tap my phone or I tap my watch to pay for items. Okay. So, I, so I'm not getting change. But nonetheless, we had a little purse just a very small little purse inside in our luggage bag with less than 10 euro. That's all we can say. Just different, different coins that have been minted in Portugal. So there have been Correct. one euro, two euro, Correct. 20 cent, 10 even, cent. There might even have been the odd Spanish one, I'm okay. sure, in there as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so we threw them into the end of the uh, suitcase and we checked in in um, the airport in Portugal and our case went off. And when we got to um, Cork Airport, I was very fortunate. That the seat that I was allocated by Ryanair was at the very front of the plane. So I was I was first off the plane. Okay. My wife's seat was in row five. So when we got the passport control, because I had the two passports, I waited for her. So maybe 15 people passed me out and would have got to the carousel before me. But I still got to the carousel very quick, looked up at the board, saw that it was carousel two, and I waited at carousel two. And I say within 20 seconds, the carousel started and luggage started to come up. And also over in the corner, carousel four, which is not a circular carousel, it's a dead-end carousel, that also started. And you could see the buggy, you know, all the kids. It's the, it's the oversized stuff. It's, and it's yeah. the oversized. So... I spot my bag coming up carousel four. So I walked over and I grabbed it and I said to this chap that was standing nearby and I knew he was an airport employee, I said, your hard cases. I said, it says carousel two on the thing and here's my bag coming up number four. So he said, ah, he said, that's for the oversized. And at that, he looked at my bag and he said, but that's not oversized. And I replied, and it's not overweight either because it was 19.4 when when I checked it in. So he said, gosh, he said, I, I don't know so, you know. So when when we got home um, and my wife unpacked, she said to me, you won't believe this. She said, but all the coins are gone out of the purse. So I said, oh, are you sure you put them in it? And, you know, all the usual. So she said, no, no, definitely she said they were in the thing. So I got... Now, hang on, the, the, the purse wasn't missing. The purse was no, there, but the all the coins there. were missing. The contents were gone. Yeah, correct. So I got on to Ryanair and I, I spoke to this chap who done nothing but apologise because he said to me, I don't know what to do with you, he said. On my chart, he said, in front of me is all the kind of various things that can go wrong. My flight was cancelled or my flight was delayed or, you know, everything. But he said, my luggage was tampered with is not on my list. 
So he said, I'm really sorry. He said, I don't know what to do with it. So I had met one of the managers from Cork Airport once upon a time, and I happened to have an email for him. So I banged him off an email, and I kind of said, what should I do? Where should I go? So he told me that he had got promotion, and he was in Dublin now working with the DAA, who are the managers, as you know, of uh, Cork Airport. Yeah. So he put me in contact with another guy. Now, the other guy said to me that they would get the CCTV checked for Cork Airport. And I said, I don't believe it could be Cork Airport because telling him the story, my bag was at the carousel nearly as quick as I was at the carousel. So I don't think anybody would have had time to get the bag, open it, get to the bottom of it, take out the purse, you know, empty the contents and put it back in again. So he said, I don't either, but he said, let's rule out with the CCTV. So he came back to me two days later and he said, it's clear, your bag was not touched in Cork Airport. And I have now got onto the airport in Portugal um, to see if um, they can do the same. So they haven't come back. It's kind of three weeks yesterday that we um, we came home. But my the reason for my email to you is, I, be, I believe now there's two kind of issues. Yes, one is, please don't anybody put, you know, a lot of money, especially, into your bag because it could be tampered with. Mm -hmm. But the other thing people said to me, Patricia, is if they can take something out, equally they can put something in. Wow. And I've also been doing a bit of kind of research on that. And I read a, a very frightening story about a guy who was out in Thailand or one of these places, only had hand luggage. And the only time the bag was out of his hands was when it was going through the airport security, you know, at, at, at check-in. Yeah. And it, it was then that they tampered with his bag and put something into it. So that's that's a scary. Very scary. Thought. And the yeah. reason they'd done it was because he had a tag on his bag with his name and address on it. And I'm kind of beginning to understand that nobody should put their name and address on their bag anymore because you're right um, yeah and we all do it we all do it I have it it's on mine but I can assure you the next time I travel Patricia it'll be cut off and what I'll be putting on is do you know these these um, woolly headbands that people get they, they plait them yeah um, so get your club colours or your county colours and, and tie one of them onto your bag so that if your bag is the same as everybody else you'll see it you'll, you'll see it yeah and there was it. there was nothing else removed from nothing. the suitcase no there was uh, nothing else only washing in it <laughs> coming back from all this and the little purse was it on the top of the case or was it on the bottom of the case where you'd originally put it on the bottom Patricia it was on the bottom of the case now our case is it, it's like a duffel bag more so than a than a suitcase okay you know, it, you can catch it up at the end and there's two wheels at the other end. Oh, I know. Uh, and just have a good route through it so somebody put their hand in. But it's just yeah. bizarre that they took the little purse, emptied the money out, as you say, small sum of money into their pocket and then threw the purse back in. Because I, I know a number of years ago, uh, it was actually when um, our daughter, Marcia, when we were adopting her from Belarus, on the yeah. way back, uh, there was a number of stops. I remember one of them being Paris. And yeah. one of the bags didn't make it to Dublin and it came back about three
three days later and there was a number of items missing out from it and should, okay. they couldn't prove where, where it was had been taken out and all of that but I was convinced yeah. it happened in Paris uh, because some of the uh, there was Matruska dolls and there's nobody in Belarus would have robbed a Matruska doll it's like an Irish person robbing a leprechaun you just wouldn't yeah. do it yeah. so I'm convinced it happened in, in Paris but ever since then I go nowhere on a flight without putting a lock on it yeah, but I wonder. I mean, if if you're if I'm the guy scanning your bag for entry onto an aeroplane, right? Yeah. And and I see jewels or money or whatever, and you have a lock, that's not going to stop me, Patricia. Well, that's true. That's true. That, your, that's true. Your, your that's true. That's there's there's other ways. There's other ways. But like it's as you say, it's not the monetary value, but it's just the fact that somebody tampered with with your bag. And as you say, the danger side of it could somebody then. Luckily, they didn't, but it, 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 somebody could have slipped, slipped, slipped it in. All right, and I'm wondering how common is it? How often do people come back? And then, of course, you second-guess yourself. Did I put it in? Was it in the bag? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're instantly going to second-guess yourself. Let us know when you hear back from Faro. I'd be inter- really interested to hear, um, will they will. be as diligent as they were? Well done to Cork Airport, because they really yeah. went to great lengths to make sure. OK, and did you have a good holiday in Faro anyway? We had a great. Uh, we had a week there, and we had a week prior to that in Wales with friends of ours. And while we were over there, we went to a Max Boys concert in the stadium, or not in the stadium, in the concert hall in Cardiff, and that was uh, that ha- was a phenomenal week as well. And Max Boys is, um, I'm sure you know, I do, yeah. yeah, rugby comedian, eighty years of age, fantastic, packing in two and a half thousand people into the thing, and still telling the same jokes that he told. <laughs> 50 years ago and singing the same song and it's just an amazing it was a fantastic night so we had two very different weeks Good. but um, Good. two fantastic weeks yeah. and actually Wales now I don't think I've ever been to Wales but Wales is on my bucket list because I've started following Wrexham the football team oh, because right. of the document so, yeah, yeah. so I, I want to go to the race courses the name of the where, where they play in Wrexham that's on my bucket list listen Owen it was a pleasure to talk to you thank you for that and you, Patricia. And have a good care. afternoon. Uh, bye-bye. And let us know if anybody else has had similar things where you came home and the, you, the bag was tampered with, something was taken out. I mean, it was just, I mean, as, as Owen says, less than 10 euro in, in coins. You'd want to be really stuck, wouldn't you, to go through somebody's bag for that? Pat and Limerick listening to Owen and what happened with the money going missing from his bag. And it was only 10, 10 euro. But uh, Pat says, Patricia, the minimum wage in Portugal is less than 5 euro per hour. So that man's change of approximately 10 euro would have been a nice amount of money to whoever took it. I didn't realise their minimum wage was that low. Thank you for that. That's Pat in Limerick. Let me go to Jane Pickett of the um, Island Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry of Veterinary Group. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And we'll get straight into questions. Firstly, one that came in a couple of weeks ago, and this is to do with the listeners having problems getting proper goat food uh, and at the moment she was feeding him with calf nuts which and haylage which she says he's mad for but she is afraid that that, that diet isn't okay for her go- her pet goat that was in from Sheila and you said you'd look into it for us. Mm, I did indeed. So goats wouldn't be my strong point so I, I phoned a friend on this one. I, what I would say is they are primarily roughage based so they're very much kind of a, a haylage based diet or hay or haylage. So what I would say is that as long as your goat is maintaining weight, the hay or haylage you're feeding should be very safe. That should be absolutely perfect. The reasons why you might need a nut on top of it, it will be if you had a goat that was a milking goat. So they have a higher energy requirement. 
or if they're old or infirm or have illness, but that might be quite specific to what they have going on. What I would say is that the calf nut should theoretically be okay, but what I would say is it might be unnecessary. It probably would be just fine with haylage alone. But what I would say is just monitor their weight and condition over the winter months. If you feel they are becoming slimmer, they might need some concentrate, so they might need some nuts. Um, but otherwise, haylage should be should be just fine. OK, keep going until... And as she got back onto us to say, it was the problem that the goat food, wherever she was getting it, is out of stock, but it may come back in and uh, she may be able to get it soon. OK, straight into other questions. Questions for, uh, for Jane the vet, please. Would neutering a two-year-old dog calm him down in any way? Mm, it depends um, is the answer really. So neutering uh, male dogs can somewhat calm them down and that's because they have less testosterone in their system. That's the, the, the hormone essentially that makes them big and brave and want to go out and about and search for the ladies and things like that. So it can calm them down in that sense and we do know that pets that are neutered are less likely to kind of get into road traffic accidents because they don't tend to go out looking for members of the opposite sex down the road. Um, what I would say, though, is I wouldn't say it will change their personality a huge amount. They might be a little bit more chill, but sometimes not a lot. Sometimes they'll just have a dog that their personality, nothing to do with hormones, is to be really, really excited. And neutering them is probably not going to change that a lot. One thing I just wanted to mention is the fact that it depends on the reasons you want to calm them down. Are you wanting to calm down kind of aggressive behaviour or are you wanting to calm down fear for behaviour? In which case, neutering might not be the best option. And it would probably be best to speak to your vet in more detail about the situation. And that's because, let's say, if we have a pet that's nervous or aggressive because they're nervous, they really need all of the bravery that they can get. And testosterone is a little bit of that bravery. So sometimes we can kind of add fuel to the fire if they're if they're kind of really hyped up because they're super nervous. It can make things a little bit more challenging for them to settle down if they don't have that testosterone to help them along. What I would say is every situation is a little bit individual. But on the whole, if you have a generally otherwise well in themselves dog that's well socialized, neutering is always the best option because obviously we don't want any more unwanted dogs or cats in the population, but also it prevents serious health diseases when they're when they're kind of later on in their years. For, for instance, with dogs, you know, they can't get testicular cancer. It reduces their risk of prostate cancer. So it is really a helpful thing. Yeah, for and, I, and actually stay on that issue because there's a kind of a similar question in from somebody else to say, I've got a 15-month-old male Yorkie slash cockapoo mix. He's marking everywhere. I can have him out for an hour and a very long walk and he'll come back and mark around the house is neutering the best option or will he simply grow out of it no other animals in the house I'm slow to neuter but if it is the only option I will go down that route Mm. might be worth just checking out a few things for this little pet first I wouldn't ever want to do him the disservice of, you know, writing it off as behavioural marking when there might be something physical going on. So it could well be just behavioural marking that he wants to leave his scent everywhere. But there is also a possible possibility he could have an increased urgency to pee. So he might have a little bladder infection or something like that that's manifesting as kind of peeing more frequently not just when he's out in his walks. So this is one where I'd probably ask your vet to run a urine sample and just double check that nothing is going on there, that his urine is clear and that it is really, truly a behavioural marking rather than an urgency to pee. Oh, it is a little bit challenging. Sometimes neutering them can improve this behaviour. But what I will say is that most of the kind of teenage boy behaviours that happen um, in unneutered males 
some of them are learned and once they're learned they don't really tend to go away a huge amount um when they're neutered so if he's kind of learned that one of his teenage boy behaviors is to scent mark everywhere neutering may not help a huge amount with that it possibly might but you know there's there's no right or wrong there it it probably won't fix the issue entirely I think a difficult thing is getting the smell of the urine out of the house once they've marked there once. Um, because if there's any little trace of ammonia and the kind of compound of urine that they smell and know is, is a scent that's belonged to them, if there's any bit of that left, they're going to keep using that as a toileting area. It's actually a very similar issue to when you're trying to toilet train puppies. So I think any areas where he has marked, just give a really, really good scrub with a pet safe cleaner um, and maybe try try and retrain a little bit of the potty training, give positive reinforcement when he does his, his peeing outside and no positive reinforcement when he does it inside. It's best not to scold them as well. So if he does kind of inappropriately mark inside, it's best not to scold them or shout or anything like that. It's just really not going to Help. Yeah, but really, really, really clean the area because they've got such such a sense of smell. Okay, we're unfortunately I'm going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of time for Jane today. Thanks for that, Jane. We'll talk next Thursday. Brilliant. Thank Thanks you, for Trish. joining us. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, and somebody who keeps goats and uh, knows uh, what. She she is talking uh, about is just saying be careful of the calf nuts, which Jane said as well, because calf in calf nuts there's copper, and the copper can actually be bad for the goat; they can't tolerate it. And this listener says, when I feed my goats rolled oats and a maize meal and you mix it all together. But Jane is right. The best feed for goats is hay or haylage. Thank you for that. And that comes from somebody who knows about goats. OK, that's where I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And tomorrow on Friday's programme, we'll have our hours to protect where we are going to be focusing on chewing gum litter and in particular the task force called a binnet. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock until then I'm Patricia Messenger look after yourself stay in stay warm because uh, it's a wet afternoon Court Today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.